Hello. Did you know? <laughs> Did you know that the word gullible has been removed from the dictionary? Ah, okay, well, I just thought maybe, I was hoping somebody would be like, Nuh-uh. Um, so we had this teacher in high school who we convinced of that more than once. And the funniest thing about it is that, by the way, it's written on the ceiling right there. Um, <laughs> a couple of you looked. <laughs> gullible's not written on the ceiling. Um, that we convinced more than once that gullible was removed from the dictionary. And um, she was an English teacher. <laughs> like, she, it, I, it wasn't me. It was everyone else, I promise. Um, but this, this poor lady, she was a tad bit gullible. We once convinced her that the book she assigned our class, mind you, this was my senior English class, that the book that she could, uh, assigned to our class was too difficult to read. So rather than, like, find a different book, she decided she so desperately wanted us to read this book that she went to the library and got the book on tape. <laughs> and so as seniors in high school, we sat in her room and listened to the book on tape for the entire semester. It was awesome. Terrible. Don't do it. Uh, it was a bad experience, and I should have learned more. But English is probably my favorite subject in high school. Uh, still my favorite today. I love to read. I like to write. Um, I try not to be too much of a grammar Nazi, because every once in a while, I get, I get words good, bad, wrong, too. Um, and, and so I try not to. But I, I love the English language, and I love talking and reading and all of those sorts of things. And some of you, you're already starting to like glaze over just a little bit. Because you're like, I was already sleepy, and now we're talking about school? No thanks. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this word neighbor. And neighbor itself is kind of an interesting word in the English language because it has a couple of different meanings. You see, there's neighbor, the noun. Does anyone remember what a noun is? Person, place, or thing, right. Yeah, so there's neighbor, the noun, the person, place, or thing. Then there's neighbor, the adjective, which is like the describing word. I won't even make you guys answer the last two. And then there's neighbor, the verb, which is an action word. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the different kinds of neighbor. And I, I, like I said earlier, it's probably a little difficult for some of you to put skin on neighbor because you, you live on a farm or you live in the country and so your neighbors are, are a couple hundred yards away in either direction or maybe a couple miles in either direction. But maybe for some of you, neighbor is an easy association right off the bat because there's the one on that side or the one over there who you just can't stand. And so I, I want to make this feel even more like school because you guys all act like you loved school so much. And we're going to take a test together. So if you take your bulletin out, on your bulletin today, on the back, there is, this, there is the yellow square that looks like this. And the yellow square that looks like that is a test. So here's what we're going to do together. We're going to take this test. You're allowed to ask your spouse for help. Some of you, your neighbor is like sitting next to you, so you guys can work on this together. Um, this is a group project. But so what we're going to do for this test is I'm going to give you about a minute or two, and you're going to write down your neighbors. Now, the yellow house is yours. And the person who's saying, my house isn't yellow. Yes, it is. Today it is. Okay? And then the house to your left and to your right, those are the houses right to your left and right. And then the houses in front of you, if there's houses behind you. Some of you don't have all eight to fill in um, because there's just not a house there. But I want to see how well you can do. Just fill in your neighbor's names is all I'm asking you to do. The names of these neighbors. Ready, set, Go.
It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? All right, time's up, pencils down, or whatever teachers say, I don't know. I wasn't listening. Um, so I want to know, did anybody get all of them filled in? Raise your hand if you did, overachievers. Some of you, uh, some of you are, I'm not even going to make comments about those of you who have like Amish neighbors or only one neighbor or anything like that. Um, did anybody get more than 50% of them filled in? It's okay, you can raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. Like, you don't have to come up and grade it. So this is, this is mine. I, I wanted to show this my neighborhood to you because I wanted to first off admit that I didn't get it right um, and I had all week to prepare and I still can't do it. Um, but this is mine. There on the left is, um, you guys remember my neighbor Rick. I've told you about him before. He sold his house to some people who are trying to flip the house. So if you're interested in buying a house soon, let me know because I want you to live next door to me. Maybe I don't, um, so just ask me. Um, then we have some new neighbors on the other side too. They've been there for a few months, but I don't know who they are, and that's terrible and embarrassing, and like, you should probably just have me fired. Like, this guy doesn't even know his own neighbor. But then if you go behind me, there's another house, and I, I don't know who they are. They have some people over there all the time, but I never see the people who live there. Right behind me is a lady named Carol. I don't know her last name, but she's really sweet, and we like, you know, like, she'll be working in her flowers, and I'll be like, Corral and Abel and trying to get my dog to not eat her flowers. So like we talk to her all the time. Then over to the left is uh, Mr. Moore. Uh, the only reason I make sure to have a good relationship with him right now is because when Abel gets to elementary school, he will tattle on him all the time for me because he's the principal there. Um, Abel already is nervous. Um, and then over to in the front of us is, is our neighbor, the Perkinses. They are the best, most wonderful, amazing neighbors anybody could ever have or ask for. They're here today. Um, and then in, uh, next to them is um, the Selbys, who are also amazing because yesterday they used their riding lawnmower to rake all our leaves for us. Like, we have some pretty cool neighbors. And then the Wygots. So here's the deal. Here's what I'm doing this week, and I'm going to challenge you to do this same thing. I am going to go to Kroger and buy some cookies, but you can bake them if you want. And I'm going to take them to the two question marks. And I'm not going to barge in or do some kind of like ministerial preacher calling thing. I'm just going to drop them off and say, hey, we've never met before. We're the Stroops. Sorry that my kid runs into your yard sometimes. And I want to challenge you that if there were some question marks or some blanks or something where you said, I think their name might be that this is the week when you say, I'm just going to go over there. And it's just a box of cookies. It's, it's just, you know, a, a loaf of bread, whatever it is. And I'm going to visit my neighbor. And so I challenge you to do that today because I don't want you to end up like my grandparents. And my dad always jokes that growing up, the only neighbors they didn't have problems with were the neighbors to the north. The neighbors to the east, the neighbors to the west, and the neighbors to the south, they all had an issue with. He said, we never had trouble with the neighbors to the north, though, because you had to go 12 miles to find a neighbor to the north. 
And I don't want that to be us because I firmly believe that Jesus has called us because he says it over and over again in Scripture that we as people who follow Jesus are supposed to love our neighbor. And I want to say this to you and I want to make it very clear because I know what it's like to have neighbors who are difficult and I know what it's like to have people in your life who are hard and I know what it's like to to be around people who don't seem to see eye to eye with you. And I want to make it very clear to you that loving your neighbor is not easy. And I'll say it again, that loving your neighbor is not easy. Whether it's the neighbor down the hall at work, whether it's the teacher down the hall at school, whether it's the the kid who walks by, whatever it is, there are always going to be difficult people in your life who genuinely, sacrificially loving them is going to take time and energy because it's just not that easy. And so I, I, want, I want to share with you over the next couple weeks as we talk about neighbor, what that really looks like. And today as we kind of discover the, the noun of who is the neighbor, who is our neighbor, I want, I want us to dig deep, but I also want to admit to you fully that this is not an easy task. That there are weeks when we talk about things and you go home and you say, cool, I can do that. But there are going to be weeks like today when we talk about loving some of the most difficult people in our lives that you go home and you think, this is not something I can do. And what's really interesting is for some of us, when we start talking about loving our neighbor, is that loving our neighbor is easy. Sure, you know, we, we know those people. But when we start digging into who really is our neighbor, it's going to get harder. And it's going to get harder for us because as people, since the beginning of time, people have always looked down their nose at someone. No matter what culture, no matter what time, no matter what century, no matter what, what geographic location on the planet, there is always a group of people who will always look down at someone else at, and always has been and always will be. And so when we talk about loving your neighbor, your first reaction is, I can do that. Your second reaction is, as long as it's not dot, dot, dot. And so when Jesus tells a story about loving your neighbor, the immediate reaction of everyone who hears is, we can do it, but we want to make sure it's not. You see, in the time when Jesus is walking the earth, there are these people called Pharisees or teachers of the law, lawyers. And what these people are is their job was to make following God as complicated as they could. It was like a job security thing for them to make it hard on you to follow God. Because if you had to ask questions, if you had to to try and understand really complicated stuff, then you had to have them. But if they made it simple, they worried you, you might not need them around. And so their job and their objective was to make following God as hard as possible. And they're the kind of people, you might know people like this today, who the most important thing you can do is know the Ten Commandments and follow the Ten Commandments. That's all that really matters. Or, or they'll, you know, they're the type who says that you know, like they'll make the rules and the laws and they'll make fences around the rules and say, don't do this. That's all you have to do to be a Christian is just don't do this. But Jesus is telling those people, no, 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 no. This is different. 
And so one of the teachers of the law wants to get Jesus in a trap. And in the book of Luke, chapter 10, if you want to turn there, this teacher of the law comes up to Jesus in a very public place, in a very public way, and he says, I'm going to trap this guy. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? How do I follow you? How do I get to heaven? And he said, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the, and the lawyer answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Correctly. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You see, this guy had spent his whole life complicating everything he could. And so when Jesus says, all you need to do to get to heaven is love God and love your neighbor, when Jesus says that, he says, okay, well, hmm, who is my neighbor? Because as an Israelite man, as a person growing up in Jerusalem, living in Israel, there is one thing he wants to make sure of. And that one thing he wants to make sure of is, I will love everyone you want except for the Samaritans. And so when he says, who is my neighbor, he's trying to ask Jesus in a roundabout way, does it have to be them? And so Jesus tells him a story, and I have no doubt that it's a story you've heard before. But he replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another religious leader, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever money you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, You go and do likewise. And so the lawyer hears the one answer he doesn't want to hear. You love even a Samaritan. Now I have to admit, there is a lot of depth to this story, and you can make a lot of arguments about how the religious leaders really shouldn't have stopped because this guy was on a dangerous road, and this is a dangerous journey that he's on, and if the religious leaders stop, it very well could have been a trap set by other robbers to, to you know, if somebody stops and helps, then they rob him too, and, and, it, and it totally is justified, and, you know, if, if a religious leader in that time were to touch a dead body, they, they aren't able to practice their religious practices, and they would have really hurt the community that they're serving, and there's, there's all kinds of arguments that you can make about why it's okay that the religious leaders did what they did. But when you make those arguments and you have those conversations, you're missing something. You're missing that the most important thing about following Jesus isn't about following a list of rules. The most important thing about following Jesus isn't about following a list of rules. It's loving 
everyone, everyone that you come across. And I want to make sure that we're clear. When we talk about loving everyone we come across, we're not talking about just being able to say kumbaya and and sing a song and everything's cool. We're not talking about the kind of person who when everyone starts talking about them, your blood boils, but it gets to the end of the conversation and you say, bless their heart. Like that's not genuinely loving your neighbor. When we talk about loving our neighbor, we're talking about loving, sacrificing, giving to someone no matter who they are. And for some of you, it's difficult because the neighbor, the literal next door neighbor, has all those late night parties and wakes your kid up. For some of you, the literal next door neighbor won't mow their grass and it always makes your yard look shabby. For some of you, that neighbor is that guy at work who just won't shut up. For some of you, the neighbor is that woman who keeps gossiping about you. For some of you, your neighbor is that person who just makes your life miserable. And so when we talk about loving your neighbor, you start to shut down because you start thinking, I don't think I want that. But even to a greater extent, for a lot of us, our neighbor, the one that we don't want to love, is the one that we're really happy looking down our nose at all the time. Is the one that when they walk by us in the store, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we think, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. It's the one who, when we see them walking down the road, we think, I would give them a ride, but you probably can't trust that type. You see, for some of us, we don't have a problem loving the people who live next door to us who look just like us. Our problem comes with the people who we're only sure they're here so that we can feel a little more superior. And I know this because I'm with you. I'm with you in that feeling sometimes. I'm with you in that knowledge that there are people and there are places and there are times when I think I would would care for that person, I would do what Jesus asked, but that person is beyond the grasp of God. That person is past what God has for them. Catherine Booth was one of the helping founders of the, of the Salvation Army. And she was, in, 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 she was from London, and she was traveling across Europe at the time. And someone said that when Catherine Booth would gather people to speak, she would gather the princesses and the prostitutes. And so one evening she was speaking in Europe, and she was away from home, and, and she was asked to stay at the castle of one of the princesses that had been to see her. And they were speaking later that evening, and the princess said, Catherine, I have to tell you, I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight. She said, I saw people today that I've never seen, and the fright and the scare and the sight of them just scared me. And Catherine Booth looked across the table at her and said, Well, dear, those are your neighbors. I didn't bring them from London. And it was this eye-opening moment for her to see that there were people all around that she had no idea that were hurting, that were struggling, that she had no idea were in so much pain because she had just simply seen them only as things to look down her nose at. But now all of a sudden she realized those were her neighbors. And so to you right now who are thinking about those people who you know I'm talking about in your life, I want to challenge you, do not think that they are beyond the grasp of God. Andrew Murray says, beware 
in your prayers above everything else of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things above all we ask or think. And so when you look at your neighbor, when you see that person, when you think through the face of who that is, I want to challenge you to be willing to love even the person that you have spent your whole life looking at down your nose. What's really interesting to me is as many times as I've taught the Good Samaritan, and there's been a lot, I've taught it here before, and I've taught it in, in smaller groups, and I've taught it in Bible studies, and I've taught it in youth groups, and all these things, and inevitably the question comes, okay, so in Maysville, in Mason and Bracken County, in southern Ohio, in 2016, who is the, who is the Samaritan? Who is the person that the rest of the room would not like? And what's interesting is, is the answer, the answer is always something to the effect of people who end up being far away, like, for, for the most part, the answer is people from this country or that country, people who live in this country or that country, and people who follow that religion or that religion. And what's interesting about that is it makes this answer really easy. Because if I tell you that the answer of who the Samaritan is, if I tell you the person of everybody I have to love, but it's someone I never actually meet, but it's someone who I am no, not likely at all to meet in Maysville, then this is an easy conversation. If I tell you that the Samaritan acts like this or thinks like that, odds are I'm never going to meet that person. And so I, I started thinking about what must a Samaritan be? Who must a Samaritan be in Maysville? And I started thinking, and I think that for us, our Samaritan is the drug addict. Our Samaritan is, is the single mom who, who we see all of the time using government assistance, and, and we can't stand the thought to look at her. We see that for us, our Samaritan is the LGBTQ person who we can't stand the sight of because they're so obnoxious and we wish they would just think like us. For us, our Samaritan is the mentally ill person who just is so obnoxious and who's just a drain on taxpayer dollars. And for us, the, the Samaritan is the loud partier who won't leave us alone. For us, the Samaritan is the Republican or the Democrat, depending on which side you fall on. For us, the Samaritan is the foreigner who should just speak English because this is America. For us, the Samaritan is the, is the person who's the bully or the person who is the bully. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you say. The most thing that matters to you is that the Samaritan is the marginalized, the left out, the ridiculed. Those are the people who we are called to love. Because it is so easy to love our neighbor when our neighbor is just the person who looks like us. It's so easy to love the neighbor who always manages to pull in the driveway, open the garage, close the doors, and not bother us the rest of the night. It's easy to love the neighbor who acts just like we think a normal person ought to act. It's easy to love the people who fit the mold of what we want them to fit. But it's not so easy to love 
the Samaritan. But it's not so easy to love the person who we don't agree with. It's not so easy to love the person we just don't like. But the fact of the matter is that those are the people Jesus has called us to love. You see, I I can't understate for you that when Jesus even says the word Samaritan to the people who are hearing this story, how much hatred would have bubbled up in the room. There there is record in in non-scriptural writings and other places of of when Samaritans would walk by, good God-fearing Israelites would spit on the ground in front of them, hoping to catch them with it. The Samaritans were a hated, nasty bunch because they had left the God that the Israelites were still following. They had fallen away and had married out of their own nationality and and had done some things that weren't right and weren't right in God's eyes. And so in the Israelites' eyes, they were the epitome of the people who God didn't want to be a part of, and so they made sure to take every step to not be a part of those people. But do you want to know a secret about the Samaritans? The Samaritans never were beyond the grasp of the Jesus who came and spoke of them. And a few months after Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritans, Jesus has a supper with his, with his followers. And it's at that meal and it's at that moment when he tells his followers that the next night he's going to go to the cross and it's there on the cross that he's going to, to have his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us and he's telling these guys this and these guys in the back of their mind know the same thing that you and I do. They know that they don't deserve this. They know that they've fallen short and they know that they've missed out on some of the things Jesus taught, and they know they don't love their neighbor like they should, and they know they don't respect people like they should, and they know they've done X, Y, and Z wrong. But Jesus still tells them, I am going to die for you. And so today, as as the men pass the bread and the cup, my prayer for you is that you would keep in mind as the bread and the cup come, that you would keep in mind that Jesus did this for you far before we even deserved it because to this day we don't deserve this gift. And so as that happens, will you pray not only for yourself and for your own heart, but for that person who for the longest time you thought was beyond God's love, who now you're seeing is just as close as you can get them. bread and this cup symbolize his love for you and for me.